Welcome to the third episode of BSN Radio. As always, I'm your host, Solomon Macy's, owner and head coach of Ballistic Strength Nanaimo, the only island kettlebell gym north of Victoria, BC. This past November, the Canadian Kettlebell Alliance sent four kettlebell sport Canucks to the World Kettlebell Championships held in Hamburg, Germany. The event was host to nearly 550 competitors from 35 different countries. Out of all teams present, Russia won the competition overall with Kazakhstan taking second place and Ukraine coming in third. Our representatives present for Team Canada were Linda Gilmore, Jean Whitney, and Tijan Ross of Victoria, BC, as well as Charlie Fornelli of Penticton, BC. Linda snagged a silver, and Jean returned home with a bronze medal while Tijan, a junior, had a top 10 finish. Charlie came home with a bronze medal in addition to achieving his Master of Sport ranking in men's long cycle. In this interview, I get everyone's perspective on their first international competition as a team representing the Great White North. First of all, I'd like to thank you guys for joining me on the show. Uh, my, my billions and billions of listeners are going to be ecstatic to hear what you guys have to say about Hamburg. Um, so, Linda, we'll start with you. Um, if you could just briefly introduce yourself, who you are, where you're from. Okay. Hi, my, my name is Linda Gilmore, and I'm um, owner and trainer at Iron Bell Fitness in Victoria. Um, I'm also a competitive lifter as well. And Jean? Sorry. Um, <laughs> hi, my name is Jean Whitney, and um, I've been playing with kettlebells for a few years now, and Linda is my trainer, and um, she tells me what to do, and I do it. Perfect. How about you, Charlie? Uh, so I'm Charlie Fornelli. I'm a personal trainer. I do contract work, uh, kinesiology work with the local health authority. And uh, I've been lifting in with the sport for about four years. Excellent. Very interesting. Um, now, who are we missing? Because Team Canada uh, has got a few more members that I know of. Um, so, A, who else is part of the official Team Canada? And um, of, the, of you guys who actually went to Hamburg, um, who's missing today? Anyone can field this one. Um, Tijan Ross from Victoria. I uh, was also some. Oh, this is really loud. There you go. Um, she was also part of our team, and she's not with us, but that was the official four. Okay, and who else is part of Team Canada? Just so our listeners kind of have the full rundown. Those are the four that officially accepted. Um, Slava Petlisa was also um, qualified to compete. Um, James Beckerley and Jessica Marshawn, also uh, Nicole Alexander. Uh, I think that's it. And sorry, did they um, did they qualify then to compete? They qualified through the qualifier last well in um, May 2014 mm-hmm. um, through at the Victoria competition and. They had to compete in events that actually qualified tours. World. Um, I'm having a lot of feedback. I can't. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, so they had to, women had to compete in the snatch and um, qualify through that event, and men could qualify through back on a long cycle in either amateur or the professional um, events. Okay, interesting. Um, now, was uh, it mainly for? Now, did some people not go for personal reasons or injuries? I know Slava had an injury that he was kind of recovering from back in Las Vegas. Did that play a part at all? Um, I did. Um, also, I mean, being that world is held in Europe, or was this past year, and often is. Um, Cost does become a factor, and there isn't any government funding, so the lifters themselves have to fund their competition. So even though it's an honor to be, you know, qualified and, and compete, you know, be at work, 
or family commitments or just financial or all three. Um, it's, you know, get in the way of some lifters attending. Okay, okay. Um, that actually brings up another good point. Um, was there any sponsorship at all for Team Canada or even uh, were you guys, were any of you individually sponsored? I was not, and there isn't any official sponsors that I am aware of. Um, Charlie? Um, no, I, I didn't seek any out. Um, and yeah, as she said, it was, you know, funded by, as far as I'm aware, all the lifters individually. Yep, that was the case for me as well. Jean, um, okay. yeah, sorry, Tijan, also um, our youth lifter um, that went with us. I know she did get sponsors, um, the benefit of youth. <laughs> so she got some sponsorship through um, the summer job and her dad's company and some other um, local um, businesses in town. So uh, kettlebell lifting is not really a well-paying gig then. Not 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 much for uh, our young Grevics to aspire to nece necessarily, at least in North America. Not yet. Not yet. And I'm I'm told um, that I think in Russia it's a, it's a bit of a different deal then. I mean, is there much more or any money in uh, kettlebell lifting in, in places like Russia or, or these countries that have uh, lifted kettlebells historically. Charlie, you want to feel this one? You know. Um, I mean, certainly, I can't say exact say to numbers, but certainly there is money. Yes, um, in places, I mean, like Russia, I presume um, Kazakhstan, um, maybe Ukraine. I mean, I, I know part of it is. I'm, I'm sure in terms of you know, them being able to run things like, you know, run organizations, like there's, you have the IPSFA, there's, you know, the Pet Academy, and that maybe doesn't come directly from the Federation, but it comes from their competing with the Federation. And, um, but I do know that those lifters on the national team do receive some form of uh, compensation, basically. Compensation, yeah, yeah. Okay, very interesting. Um, now let's get back to uh, all you guys as individuals, and let's talk about uh, ranks. Charlie, what rank do you currently hold uh, as far as the IUK IUKL, aka joint ranking system goes? Sure. Um, so I have now officially achieved master sport in both long cycle and as of uh, Worlds, actually, I, I did uh, the long cycle master sport rank requirement. Excellent. Jean? Uh, I hold my rank two in uh, Snatch, 12K. Awesome, awesome. And uh, you, Linda? I have my CMS in long cycle and rank one in Snatch. Awesome. Um, now... As far as Hamburg goes, um, did you guys reach your goals, or did you, you know, did you meet your expectations? Did you come up short? How did that go for you guys, Jean? Why don't we start with you? <laughs> sure. Um, I know it's always nice to win gold, but you know, sometimes that doesn't always happen. It, yeah, no. Uh, the results, I was very satisfied actually with the results. Um, my personal performance, I wasn't particularly satisfied with, but you know. In so many cases, people just look at the results, and uh, I'm quite content to, to hold a bronze medal. Absolutely. I would be, too. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it just keeps you kind of pushing harder for the next competition, right? It does. It so does. So you definitely get something out of it, for sure. Linda, how about yeah. you? Um, I was happy with um, my performance. It wasn't my personal best on the mat, but my goal was to do better than the previous time I went on the mat in New York. And I definitely did that and learned a lot um, about how to handle stress and the whole experience of traveling to Europe and getting on the mat. So, yeah, again, I'm happy with the silver. I'm happy with the reps that I did, but also know that I can do more as well. Awesome, awesome. So, 
Gene came back with bronze. Linda came back with silver. Charlie, how about you? Um, so for myself, I I think like Gene and Linda both said, you know, it was not uh, in terms of biathlon. It was not my best day. But, uh, with travel and I struggled to sleep uh, for those first couple days, and so I just. I didn't perform well. I placed about as well as I think I could have. Just knowing who who all is in your weight group, you know, you know what the Russians and the Ukrainians and the Kazakh lifters are going to do. So it it makes it tough. Um, but uh, in terms of long cycle, I hit my best uh, total um, and first time ever doing ten minutes, and I was able to actually make uh, get the bronze in it. So. It was, that was a, a happy time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I mean, the competition is definitely going to be a bit steeper out in Europe, but um, just speaking for the rest of uh, the North American kettlebell community, uh, we're really proud of you guys, and uh, we all wish that we could have been there to see you guys perform as you did. Thank um, you. No problem. Um, now, here's a question. Does Team Canada have a coach? And if, if not, how come? And if so, who is it? <laughs> Team Canada doesn't have an official coach. Um, I sort of took a role of just a representing getting the team uniforms organized and just making sure um, we were informed um, just as a rep. But no team coach. We all have our own individual coaches. Um, and when we're there, um, I think there's a support system that um, each lifter has with um, other lifters that they see at different competitions. And at that point, not a lot of coaching is going on. You're either ready or you're not. Um, and we've competed enough to know sort of what we need to do individually. Mm -hmm. Does anyone yeah. have anything else to add? Uh, I was just going to basically kind of reiterate, and I think you see that, you know, in terms of from a true coaching standpoint, I think there's really no, I mean, I guess if we go to those, you know, those former Soviet countries, um, they may all have like a coach, but outside of that, most, you know, most countries all have their own coaches, most lifters, like you, but what they do have is, you know, like Linda took on that role in large part, especially us officially, you know, being in Germany, um, it's, uh, you know, I have, you know, I, I picked up a coach for this competition. Linda's been working with the coach. Gene's been working with Linda, you know, and you see that with all the, with the majority of the other countries as well. They all kind of have their own coaches. And I simply, simply because, uh, you know, it's just such a new uh, it's a new thing and we're all kind of, especially as we're progressing, you know, we're all getting to that certain stage and then we're finding when we hit that stage, you know, you, you need to find somebody who's been there, done it or taught somebody else to do it. So, um, so, so, sorry, sorry to jump in, but, um, so leading up to a competition of this caliber, how important is it then for you know, the average Canadian or even American lifter to have a, a coach who's dedicated to seeing that they progress as they should. Charlie, do you want to keep going on that one? Um, well, I know certainly from, from my perspective, I think it's the, the challenge is in that the sport in and of itself, it, it is inherently a grind, you know, and it's, hard to really keep especially because we have a different competition cycle in North America it's pretty much like you compete when you can and sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming where you're you know maybe you have a big competition and you do your best but it's five weeks before the biggest competition that you're ever going to compete at in your life and you kill it five weeks early and then it takes that, you know, how do you push through? So that's where I think having a coach can be uh, beneficial there to help just kind of keep you on that, on that, uh, on that same path in terms of uh, success. So, how many uh, competitions do you guys average a year, Gene? 
Uh, I'm relatively new to this whole competition thing. And um, this past year, I've competed in, uh, participated in three competitions, including Worlds, so not a lot. Uh, but I'm planning on doing um, two, one in February and one in the summertime for this coming year. Excellent, excellent. How about you, Linda? I did four this past year, including, including Worlds. And so I averaged around anywhere from two to four. And a lot of that is financial, um, running a business. Um, and, and some of it's by choice. I pick and choose the ones I want to do um, based on my goals for that year. And Charlie? Um, I did, you know, about like the same window, though this year I competed in uh, six competitions, which, you know, in the grand scheme, it's not that many. It's just that, uh, you know, I mean, there are Americans who compete, it seems like, every two weeks. <laughs> um, you know, if you, live in the, if you live in the right place, you can hit a competition, you know, every week almost. So, but, uh, yeah, basically, you know, the same thing like Linda had said. And, you know, like Jean mentioned, you know, we, you, you make the competitions that you can and you know you sort of you you'll pick and choose certain ones for various reasons um you know whether it just be travel costs um you know and i know my girlfriend rachel and i um maybe you guys remember rachel she's competed she was she was in las vegas as well uh with me when we competed there at the world cup but uh we normally decide uh, what competitions we're going to go to based on what cities we haven't been to yet. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, That's true. Yeah. you know, never, never been to Las Vegas. Got to go to that one. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, we've looked at other places like, uh, well, I mean, Chicago would have been nice if, if the WKC was still hosting their competition, which as far as I know, they're not anymore. Right. Um, Michigan's not, you know, really kind yeah. of on the list as work. far as, you know, <laughs> tourist destinations. So, uh, yeah, that's that's def- for us. That's definitely a factor that plays in. Um, getting back to Hamburg, exactly how nerve wracking was the experience itself? Going to this international competition in Europe, where you're going toe to toe with the best. Uh, uh, let's start with Eugene. It was all for me. It was all sort of almost. Unreal. Um, even even just this past weekend, people were asking me about Hamburg and and congratulating me, and and it was still almost dreamlike. You know, I know it happened, but it just it seemed a little bit unreal. Um, but you know, it's the opportunity came up, and I it was something I. I couldn't pass it up so it was it was more taking advantage of, of opportunities that presented themselves and I tried to make the most of of the experience and hopefully it was it's it's it was mind-boggling seeing 540 kettlebell lifters all in one spot space so that's definitely the most that I've ever heard of in one spot lifting yeah. kettlebells how about you Linda um well, I had made a post on Facebook before I left because it was getting real that, you know, I have competed in international sports, but as a teenager, um, figure skating. And so I really tried to channel what my younger self would have done, which I just sort of took it all in and didn't really take in the stress and try not to be overwhelmed by it all and just be really positive that I was there and taking it in. and. Uh, really stay focused on what my goal was and not um, look at what other lifters are doing or get psyched out about the others because I really don't have control over what they're going to do, just what I'm going to do, how I prepare for it, and not to let my training um, not count. I trained really hard and I, I wanted that to come out. So, um, yeah, it was very positive. I think the whole experience. Awesome, awesome. How about you, Charlie? Um, I was pretty nervous. Um, I got there on the Monday beforehand, and I think had I lifted on Tuesday, I would have been fine. But uh, <laughs> not lifting till Friday, especially I think on Thursday, 
you know, we all showed up for the weigh-ins and, you know, everybody's there and you start looking around and, it's, you know, it's a little bit of hectic, it's chaotic and start thinking about it. And I didn't know when I was lifting because they, they sort of changed it up. So I was, I couldn't sleep. I got a message in the middle of the night from a Croatian, uh, one of their, their rep and uh, he messaged me and he's like, you're going to be lifting in the morning. And I was kind of thinking, <laughs> okay, good. And then I realized that, you know, it's three in the morning right now and I'm not falling asleep. <laughs> but in all truth, though, I woke up on Friday morning and it really kind of came together and I just sort of let it be like any other day. Once I once I got sleep and woke up. <laughs> But uh, up until that point, it was horrible. (laughs) I think there was a realization after or during the weigh-ins, speaking of the weigh-ins, that the the next few days were probably going to be you need to ebb and flow with what was going on because there was a lot of changes getting thrown at. Some schedules were, you know, missing athletes. Um, There was just a lot that if you let it bother you, it could really throw you. And and so if you just realize that's just the way it is, um, it was a much better approach, as Charlie says. <laughs> it is what it is, and it's the same for everybody, so you might as well just focus on what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, now, Rachel and I have, have hopped on a plane and, and flown to another city for a competition, but we've never flown to a country nine hours ahead for a competition. How, what kind of a role did that play? Jean? Mm-hmm. We were, my husband came with me and we were hit hard by jet lag. Um, we left at like 6.30 on Sunday morning and got to Hamburg at noon or so on Monday. And so that day was pretty much a write-off. And even the next day was, was it was it was tough to get a whole lot done and to feel a whole lot of energy. And so we lost two days there. Um, and, and still, and whether or not it was, you know, the nine-hour time difference or being in a hotel or or the competition coming up, sleep was definitely an issue for the time that we were there. Anyone else want to chime in? Uh, same thing for me. I got in Monday afternoon, and it was, sleep was very hard to come by. <laughs> um, uh, and so that was the biggest thing, uh, you know, just trying to, deal with that just not being able to sleep mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was okay um, <laughs> I guess that's the benefit of being a night owl I don't get much sleep on a general sense and I train when I'm tired so it was really yeah. no different um, and I was I sort of have this approach with jet lag that I just sort of have certain times um, when I'm at home I think about what I'd be doing in Hamburg at this time and and mm really changed some of my training times and just to put myself in those situations. And yeah, I mean, I was, it wasn't that I was, wasn't tired, but it was a familiar feeling for me. Yeah. So the advice for everyone is try to get used to being awake 20 hours a day and you'll be fine. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> It'll affect you much, much less. That's right. um, now, uh, before you guys actually started your flights themselves do you did you guys have much time to prepare for your flights um were the bells any different like a handle diameter etc was there chalk provided did anything in particular stand out leading up to your sets gene we'll start with you everybody got led on to the theme song from rocky yeah <laughs> <laughs> So you feel like a winner just going on. Yeah. <laughs> so that so that was that was a plus then. That that was maybe it had almost ergogenic properties. It improved your performance. Well, you know, I'm thinking it was a good thing. It uh, I wasn't the first one on because it really kind of threw me. The first few yeah. people that we watched going through with the with the music going. That is something I've noticed from these YouTube videos of the European competitions. They definitely love the music, yeah. and definitely those those you know anthem like songs, right? Pomp and circumstance, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. How about you, Linda? Um, I was uh, a little bit 
stressed about the process of chalking and the two-minute window, and only certain bells were for competition. So I like to become one with my bell um, a little bit longer than two minutes. Well, you, and you only really had time to touch it and then get back behind. So you didn't even have two minutes with your bell. So the chalking and that procedure um, was a challenge for me, but I had I was not competing till Sunday, so I had enough time to sort of get over that. It is what it is, and it's the same for everybody. And uh, suck it up, kind of attitude. <laughs> How about you, Charlie? Uh, yeah, I mean, certainly the same thing Linda said. Uh, in terms of the bell, I mean. You, you mentioned it, and I've seen a lot of people posting, especially long cycle lifters. Um, I was actually quite surprised that a few of the guys in my flight, uh, when I saw them going, uh, putting bells down a bit early, I that sort of put a little bit of fear in me because I was just waiting for things to fall apart. But uh, um, I really actually noticed the, the bells, the difference in, certainly in jerk, they had a little short, a smaller window between the handle and the bell, so um, it was a little bit, it was a, a different feeling. Um, and same thing with snatch, because you know if you had a maybe you weren't right on your catch overhead, it was flipping a little bit differently. Um, yeah. And I know a few people had problems um, in terms of the chalking. You know, it was it was definitely hectic, and um, I was not. I wasn't particularly happy at the way that I had the bell prepped myself for, for snatches. And that I think impacted me mentally. I had no problem holding the bell, but I was just in high state of like anxiety over it for long cycle. Um, I got to be honest with you. I had uh, two world record holders chalking and prepping my bell. So I was pretty confident. <laughs> <laughs> Anton Anasenko and then one of his student who just set a junior world record came out we're dealing with my bells before so I felt like uh, royalty there for, for five minutes <laughs> so we, did, we did have to provide our own shop yes and provide our own yeah, yeah. wow which is standard I think that's pretty well standard at uh, these like European meets um, that brings up um, a good point now the chalking of the bells um i'm one of those people who just doesn't chalk the bell and i've developed a system where that's the way i like to prep my bell just no chalk i'll actually bring some sandpaper with me and i'll smooth out the handle as best as i can i'll practice with it until the temperature of the handle is the same as my hand to minimize any difference in like moisture accumulation and uh and 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 then i'm good to go you see, we couldn't we couldn't practice with the bell, so that's my sort of mo too. I like to, like I say, become one with the bell, so I get that nice feeling, that warmth, that yeah, just know how it feels. And you didn't get that chance. You could chalk it, you can you can sandpaper it, but then you had to leave it basically a minute and a half or a minute, however long after. Um, and that's the first time that you get to use this when you're up on your flight. Hmm. And there are certain bells on each map. So even if I liked one on map two and I was on map four, I wasn't allowed to touch those bells. So that was kind of odd. But again, it's the same for everybody. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the judging. Do, are there, do you guys have any comments on the judging? Was it fair? Um, anything at all? Did you guys notice anything while you were competing or, or when you watched others compete? That might be, you know, even different from the way that we see uh, judging here, or just in particular. Jean, we'll start with you. Um, Is it, that's, a, that's a tough one. Well, judging uh, any any sport where there's judging, there's going to be some subjective differences. Yeah, and it's interesting to to sit as a spectator and watching other people compete and you know, kind of going, oh, which judge do I want yeah. <laughs> when, it comes, when it comes time? But of course, you know, you don't, you don't get to pick and choose. You don't so. get that choice. Yeah. Anyone but else? Yeah, I think uh, the, the only thing I think I really noticed was, I mean, as, as Dean said, there's some level of subjectivity. I, I got to be honest, like, I don't think I was particularly 
uh, unimpressed. I think that, you know, not to sound uh, negative, but in those big, in those big fights where it was, you know, Russian versus so-and-so, um, those guys at that top level, there's, I mean, I think of the, the over 95 biathlon, it was a Russian and a Kazakhstani lifter and they were like neck and neck. Like one was 147, the other one 146 jerks. These guys, I mean, they, their coaches, even though they weren't supposed to be, were standing out on the floor telling them to drop the bells down because their fixation was so fast that the judge was, you know, the judge is counting the rep and they're, and they're holding it, you know, an extra second just because that's what feels right. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, certainly there were the, I think the biggest thing that I saw in that stands out in my mind is that, you know, there was one particular uh, male lifter who did biathlon long cycle uh, in, uh, you know, as an amateur slash veteran. And uh, he had what was, you know, very debatable as a jerk. So, and I think that caused a lot of, there were some people who had made, you know, I don't know what what you would say, but like who kind of made appeals as to whether or not his rep should count. And was um, this um, uh, uh, attributed to the second dip or his fixation? It was. It was more of a. It was more of a, a lack of second dip. I mean, I think the fixation wasn't so much because he was holding the bells overhead, but you know, it just. I, I think where you get a little bit of that, and even with him. He, you know, he had he competed as a veteran, like only, I don't think anybody would have even said a thing. But because he was competing at an amateur and uh, he was taking a place on the podium, you know, as you know, we were even told kind of beforehand, you're going to see little things like that. People are going to try and sneak their way if they can. So um, I don't I didn't really see a heck of a lot. Um if you deserve the rep, I think you got it for the most part. Okay, okay. Um, now, uh, leading into the next question, uh, with there was some chatter on Facebook regarding uh, amateur junior lifters having to compete against amateur adults. And just to clarify, now professional refers to men lifting 32s, women lifting 24s, juniors lifting 16s, correct? That's that's how we kind of no. define professional? Junior, junior professional would be lifting the 24s you know, snatch for like a female. Okay. And the, and the men would be 32 as well as a junior. Okay. Um, and the amateurs basically lift, they compete with anything lighter than that, right? Uh, women 16 and okay. men 24. Okay. Now, Linda, now I know that you were part of that conversation on Facebook. Could you give us a little clarification as to the situation as it was? Um, well, I'm not sure how it all got started, but I was aware before and was able to let my junior know um, as a 15-year-old she'd be competing against basically U35, and as we found out in her particular weight category, it was 45 and under <laughs> um, prior to leaving. So we were well aware of that and prepared, but some people were not. And so the problem, I guess, was just within that amateur category, why the juniors recognized? So say in Tijan's group, there were three juniors. Why weren't they recognized for first, second, and third within that amateur? But again, I knew ahead of time they weren't going to be identified separately. They were to compete against the U45 or U35, whatever, the adults. Um, and only the professional juniors would be recognized for first, second, third. So I was aware of that ahead of time, but it wasn't made clear. And that was, there was a few other things that communications weren't clear, and I think that caused some issue that when people don't know, and it seems unfair that some knew, some didn't. Mm-hmm. Now, Linda, as... Um now you have your own competition in Victoria that uh, that you run. How important is it for you to make sure that all the rules are known, all of the all of those little details are are clearly identified uh, to everyone interested in competing at your competition? 
It's very important. Um, and as a lifter, but also as a coach, I can appreciate how important it is to translate that and everybody's very clear. Um, and also that if people have questions, they are able to find the answers prior to. Um, but in the IUKL rules, to be fair, it does say that rules can be changed or things can be changed the day of. So um, they were in their rights. The only, I guess, from my perspective, it just needed to be said or posted instead of just assumed. But they were in their rights to do what they did and any changes because it does say that. But that would be my suggestion if they could post it somewhere um, so everybody understood that. So for the time being, lifters need to be prepared for those types of changes going into competitions. Yeah. Um, how important is the training leading up to competition? Uh, obviously, you guys, you know, you, you train throughout the year, but when you've registered for a competition and you know one's coming up in the next month or two, um, does your, comp- does your uh, training change and, and how important are the changes that you implement in your training? How, how important are those? Jean? For me, it's mostly a psychological game and, you know, the little self-doubt start to creep in and, and oh my God, I'm never going to get there on time. And, you know, however, um, it hasn't yet happened that I haven't gotten there on time. Trust the program, work, you know, continue doing what you're doing, um, listen to your coach and, uh, and, and just go and, and stay focused and, and do what you can. Mm-hmm. Coach Linda? <laughs> um, well, as a, as a lifter, my, my process is um, I like to set goals before each. And a lot, like Jean says, a lot of it is is mental. One. I mean, you can put in the work. You know, we're all used to training hard and putting in that time. But um, once you get to a certain point, it, it becomes a mental, you know, believing you can do it. You're going to be fine. Um, and then taking that on to the mat. Because, again, you can train and train and train at home but you need to translate that. And that's why it's important to get up on the mat and, and put yourself in those situations. Um, you can, we do simulations here, and we try to simulate as much as we can, similar to the competition, which is also is very helpful. And we did quite a few before Worlds, um, added some because the first one didn't go well for some of them, and so we added another one. You know, again, we need to get ourselves or the lifters in a state where they believe they're going to be okay and charlie how important is your training leading up to competition it's uh it's very important certainly yeah i mean i think the the main thing for me is when i'm not in quote unquote uh, competition mode i'm lifting and i'm training and i'm working out um, when I'm in competition mode, it's pretty much all, you know, the working out part is out the window. It's all just about training. It's about, it's not about, you know, getting stronger or, or any of this stuff, these, these things. It's all about doing the things that I need to do to make sure that I'm going to be where I want to be on the platform. So, you know, it's not about, not about, uh, you know, reps a minute. It's about, quality reps, you know, at, at a pace that I choose. Um, and, and the other thing as well, like Linda said, and as Gina was kind of alluding as well, is, you know, it's, it's all about just having mentally knowing that when the bell's in your hand, you know what you're going to go through and you just go through it. Um, I usually like to, in, in the in the week before, I like to kind of get a one big set. And I mean, it's... It, it, it's just the number that I choose, but it's, uh, I always use the, the WKC number because it's, you know, it's 68 and it's 65, 65. So I hit my 68 and I hit my 65, 65, and then I'm done. I do it, you know, out of pace. And I don't know why I choose that number. I guess it's just what was grilled into my mind for, you know, the first really two and a half, three years of my lifting. And, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's a it's a benchmark that I can hit, and if I can hit it at a pace that I'm aiming for, then I can walk on and feel confident, and and just scoot forward from there, and just try and go an extra two minutes. 
Right on, right on. I, I picked up um, this tip, and I honestly got I can't remember where I picked it up from, but uh, it's, it's a 200 rule. And basically what it is is if you can – and this is something that I try to implement when I'm registering for, for a competition. I'm trying to figure out what, what bell I'm going to choose. And normally I like to go on a competition with there being a little bit of uh, mystery as to how I'm going to perform. Because um, I, I don't really like going into a competition knowing per se that I will absolutely hit uh, my goal. And usually my goal is just make rank and, you know, if I place, awesome. If not, no big deal. But uh, basically my rule of thumb is if I can do, say, 200 snatch with the 16 kg, I should be in a good spot to compete with the 20. Do, do you? Do any of you have kind of like a rule of thumb like that that you kind of use a little guideline? No, I, I, I don't. I, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, maybe not from a competition standpoint, but uh, in terms of, I, I certainly have in my own head numbers that that I want to hit. I mean. That was actually, you know, I, I've made this statement a few times, and, and my biggest problem with having a bell for each rank is everybody stops using the bell as soon as they hit the rank. But, uh, I mean, one of the things that, like, I love the idea of trying to go for, you know, in, instead of just going for rank number with the 24 to make rank one, you know, and, and I can hit CMS and... In, in, in the old tables and some of the other groups that are out there, um, I like to be able to do that. I mean, I want to, if I can do, you know, whatever, 140 jerks with the 24s, I'm going to be in a better place under the 28s, under the 32s, than if I just try to go, well, I just hit 80 jerks with the 24s. Now let's try and, you know, chip away at the 28s and do the same thing with the 32s. You know, there are things that you learn when you move faster. There are things, you know, so so having that number, you know, like you said, 200 snatches, I mean, there are things that your body goes through and you have to move better when you're moving faster. You know, obviously you can move fast and not be doing quality. But if you're, if you're being honest with yourself and you're moving fast and you're moving with quality, and yeah, you're gonna be conf- You should be confident knowing when you pick up that next bell weight. Okay, you're you don't maybe know exactly what you're gonna hit, but you know you're gonna be able to be there. You know, you'll be there at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I certainly have benchmarks that I have for myself. Benchmarks that I encourage with other people. Um, you know, lifters that I work with or am just in kind of close conversation with. Um, I think it's important to have that and not just be rank chasers the whole time. Yeah, that's a good point. I, um, we have a sort of a say and I say too, um, light and right. So we do, you know, some sessions that are just focused on the lighter bells, but doing the right technique so that when we do hit up the bell that we are training with, we can apply those skills. So there is a mixture of that. And personally, like I've been lifting the 16 snatch for a while, but um, I went away and did long cycle and came back to it, but my focus was different. I wanted to have better technique. So when you're training technique or specific changes that you're making, um, again, it's important not to just push through to a heavier bell, even though, well, I've been at 16 for a while, it should be at this bell or that bell. Um, it was important to me for my body and, and, and how it's moving the bell to, to focus on technique, which means that you sometimes take a step back because your body's just doing things differently. It's, it's very tempting to jump up to that next bell. Um, but it's a, it's a good point. Get the, get the time under the lighter bells, work on the technique, you know, do some dedicated, uh, tempo work and work capacity with the lighter bells. And that will translate over to, uh, the heavier sets. Correct. How are you guys doing for time? Good. I'm doing okay, yeah. Okay. Um, so we just got a few more questions here. Are there any special techniques that you guys use in preparation for competition? So, for example, Charlie, I know you perform glove snatches. Is that correct? 
Uh, is yeah. this just part of your normal training, or is this part of the you know quote unquote competition mode? Fill us in. Uh, yeah. So for myself, um, ever since February of this past year, uh, I've been including, and, and so to answer your question, no, this is pretty much every. Um, mainly the reason why is I use glove snatches. So I just put a pair of like $2 gardening gloves and uh, they look great in the gym. And, um, I wear, and then I do, uh, sorry, like swing snatch or swing, swing snatch set. Uh, set. And I know, and I think that's fairly common, uh, out there. Um, but basically it allows me to, I can snatch five, six days a week now, um, without just destroying my hands. Whereas before it was, you know, I was two days a week, and I was a baby at the end of the second day. Um, you know, swings were killing me, and so now you know I can handle you know a lot of a lot of that. But it's you know it's not just straight thirty-two kilo snatch five days a week. It's you know it's glove, which you know simulates the bell heavier, though it's not heavier on the full system. Mm-hmm. It's just heavier in that one area. The swing snatch, you know, adding that swing takes a lot of that. Uh, you know the 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 wear out of the hand when you can add that swing or two swings in. So those are things that I do definitely on a regular basis. My biggest problem, and I'll and I'll freely admit, and I have it to others as well already, is you know before Vegas, I hid behind those those sets. So I did swing snatch all day long. I did glove snatch all day long, and I didn't do the regular sets like I should have, you know, I just wasn't mentally in the right, in the place I should have been. And, you know, lo and behold, I didn't do as well as I wanted. So, you know. Live and learn. <laughs> Linda, Linda, how about you? Um, personally, I, again, I was doing the same thing um, with my coach. Um, he gave me lots of glove snatch, swing snatch, regular snatch, a um, lot of former walks. Anything to work on grip strength um, and extending that um, endurance of the, the grip. Um, I personally like to challenge myself and do a test set at the end of every week so I know where I'm at. Just a thing I like to do. Um, that's not from my coach. I'm a bad student in that, but I, I do feel it gives me a, a benchmark. Um, well, sometimes, you know, the athlete knows in certain respects what's best for them at times right yeah it's, it's not a uh, i have certain rep uh, parameters so i'm not going like all out hitting my max 200 <laughs> you know nothing crazy it's just i need to know where i am so then the next week i go up a little bit more i go up a little bit more so um i still know where i'm at without ruining my progression and Jean. My training is, what am I doing today, Linda? (laughs) Okay. And I will look at my, you know, assigned sheet and go, hmm, all right then. That's probably not something I'd have chosen, but let's do it. Suddenly it's it's done. (laughs) Just trust in Linda and everything will come together. Trust the process. It's kind of it's kind of what happened. <laughs> now, um, I mean, you guys brought up a uh, an interesting point. How important is it to do the mock competition set in your normal tr- in your normal training? The full ten minutes, you know, how important is that, Jean? I find it really helpful. Just as as part of playing the mental game, um, then it's. You know, you know, okay, you know what you can do. Okay, I've done that. I know I can do it. And so when the doubts and, you know, start to creep in and the self-confidence starts to wane a little bit, it's like, no, 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 you've done it. You know you can do this. It's just another set. Just go and do it one at a time and get it done. Linda? Um, I, I have always done it. I remain doing that. Again, I've had different coaches, and I just always resorted to keeping that in with whatever they're giving me. Um I'll use Tijan um, as another example. Um, when I was training her to get ready, um, 
because she didn't have a lot of time under that 16 bell. She hadn't worked with it that long, um, so we had a lot to do in a short amount of time. So we kept her goals realistic, like her challenge sets, um, or you know, at the end of the week or whichever end of each month, wasn't always 10 minutes because she hadn't had that time under. Um, so it would start at, let's aim for six minutes, and then I was, okay, we accomplished that, let's go for eight. So it was always realistic, but there was a challenge that, you know, you just put yourself in that position. So um, she knew what it's going to feel like, and she'd feel good about, okay, well, either I have to step it up or I'm on track. Mm-hmm. Charlie? Uh, for myself, personally, I don't get a lot. I'm under my competition bell weight. I don't really get a lot of, uh, I, I, I don't do 10 minute sets, not with my competition bell weight. Um, partly because like say in snatch, I mean, it kills me. Um, so 10 minutes is, is, is the goal right now, mm-hmm. uh, especially at a pace. I mean, I can do it, but I really have to chop my pace down. Um, but I do certainly get, uh, get full sets under the 24s. I will maybe not full 10 minutes under the 28s on a regular basis, but I'll definitely get full snatch sets under the 28s. I'll do 24 kilo long cycle 10 minutes. I'll do some longer 28s. And I think, you know, fortunately at this point, I've been, I spent enough time under, you know, the heavier bells. I know that it's not going to be, you know, I'm not going to have to put them down because I'm mentally not going to be able to hold them. I can, you know, especially in jerk, in snatch, it, it's it's still a major, it's a process for me um, with the heavier bell, just because, you know, the various things. So The nature of the exercise itself. Yeah, right. So, um, and then in long cycle, uh, I trained it. And it went pretty well. I just never usually train long cycle. I just do it more for fun. So um, I've been enjoying actually training it. And I mean, now granted, the last two competitions are two-day events that I've done. So that was handy. Made long cycle feel a lot more enjoyable than doing it all in one day. But, um, you know, I definitely get those long sets in. I just don't necessarily always do it under the 32s. I like pushing pace under the 32s and really training myself to get in the positions I want to be in. And if I try to go for long sets all the time, then I find that I'm too easy to get away from those positions that I want to be in. Mm-hmm. It just starts to outlive its usefulness as a drill. Um, so, so. Uh, and that's kind of an interesting point. Like myself going into competition, I'm, I'm usually pretty confident that of what I do on the platform is going to be ability and I know that that last 20% is going to be potential. So I know that if, if, if I can get, if my goal is 124 reps and I, I know that I have the ability to do a hundred, that if I just push myself really hard and I stay focused during my set, that I have the potential to knock, to knock out that last 24 reps. Do any of you guys kind of feel that same way? No. no, if I don't if I don't do it ahead of time, usually I I perform what I practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to almost be over ready to feel mentally comfortable. Um, I've always been that way, even when I was on the ice. If I didn't uh, practice a certain way, perform it in practice, I wasn't going to compete any different. Yeah, Jesus. No, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. What um, the practice set is a really good gauge of of what's going to happen mm-hmm. when the time comes, um, and you know, depending on the situation, sometimes you know there is there is a little bit more in the tank because of the adrenaline pumping, and and but I've had it work in against me as well. So definitely, definitely, that's a good point. Um, all right, so let's move along here. Did you guys hobnob with the other teams while you were there? I, I know there there might have been maybe a little bit of a language barrier at times, but you know how how was that experience being surrounded by all those other teams? Charlie, I I know for myself. I mean, 
I'm pretty, I'm pretty reserved. So I certainly, there's a few people that I've been in touch with, you know, through Facebook and that kind of thing. And, you know, I definitely had, I mean, I had a few conversations and, um, but I wasn't, you know, I certainly wasn't, uh, I wasn't around like some of, like some of the other, I, I saw some of the Americans, some of the other guys, you know, now uh, they got pictures floating around and stuff, but, uh, you know, I had a good conversation with uh, the lifter from uh, India. We had a nice chat and uh, chatting with a few of the guys from uh, from Ireland and, you know, chatting with the guy, uh, Nils from Norway. So, you know, I had some conversations, certainly, but uh, not not a huge amount. I guess it's it's almost like where when you stop, I get, you know, you could talk to people forever. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, that's not me, so <laughs> I love you about the gal. Anyone else? Um, there was a little bit. Um, I just found it a little bit overwhelming. It's the first experience for me of that, anything remotely close to that level of performance and that caliber of, of and so it was, I felt a little outclassed and intimidated at times and um, you know, so was a little bit withdrawn. And Charlie, I'm really surprised to hear you say that you were withdrawn because you were just, I, I was looking <laughs> at you doing the social butterfly thing and you were always <laughs> zipping from one person to the next and that uh, looked like you were really, really enjoying it. I guess I, I was definitely with the Americans. Yeah. Certainly there was a lot of that. And, um, <laughs> I'm just so neurotic though, like I'm all over the place. I made <laughs> Did you North Americans feel like you need a little solidarity there? You had to join forces a bit, maybe? Maybe a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I think we did, too. Yeah. I mean, I think that was a good thing. Um, certainly, can be extended. Uh, we were definitely our own team and very proud of that. But um, um, it was nice to know that our neighbors do the self. <laughs> and they were familiar faces, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, what? Uh, well, let's just get right into this question, um, and we'll address this one by one. Linda, what was your most memorable moment about uh, about Hamburg? Oh, geez, um, I think just having the opportunity to be there, um, to be part of the inaugural team that went, and be able to bring back the information, the medals, the um, stories of the first Canadian team at the IUKL World Championships. So I think just the fact that we got to go and experience it. Awesome. Jean? Well, um, I hadn't actually thought about it until you just asked. And and um, I think maybe walking in, we had a great big flag and we had a stick that said Canada on it. And <laughs> like, oh, look, this is this is what happens in the Olympics. This is pretty very cool. <laughs> and uh, how about you, Charlie? Yeah, I definitely agree with uh, with Gene and Linda. It's, you know, just being a part of that, uh, you know, just being in that atmosphere and kind of representing in that way is uh, it's a it was a very uh, you know I, it was a great thing to do. It was great to be a part of. And I will say this though, in terms of the competition, watching that over ninety five biathlon was awesome. <laughs> Kazakhstan lifter beat the Russian on that 200 snap set. That that for me, I was bounced around like a little kid. I think <laughs> was that a big upset then? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah There's I mean, nothing, nothing quite like um, just on another note, Solomon. Um, just representing your country. I mean, like like Gene says, like something about holding the flag and knowing that you have, you know, you're there for your country and. Um, yeah, it's very surreal in that way, whether you stand on the podium or not, just in the, you know, uh, the opening and closing ceremonies and being a part of all the other teams standing there with their flags, it's, it's pretty special. And, and I think also as well, it's such an isolated and unique kind of culture, the kettlebell culture in North America and particularly Canada, because obviously it's not that big. And, um, and when you think about it that way, uh, you guys going over to Hamburg representing Canada, you're, you know, everyone who 
you know, is involved in the kettlebell community in Canada, I mean, all eyes are on you guys. I mean, we are, you know, very aware of, of what you guys are capable of and how far you've come and where you're going and and uh, all that stuff. And I think uh, I think that was a big deal for a lot of us back here in Canada to, to see you guys representing. It must have really felt like literally the kettlebell Olympics, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Now, so on that note, do you guys feel like Canada has arrived as a force on the international kettlebell scene, or do we still have a long way to go? How about you, Charlie? Um, I mean, I certainly think uh, that in terms of, you know, if we, if we really look across the board, I think Canada, yeah, obviously on a per capita basis, I mean, if we go by numbers, yeah, maybe... Maybe we got some room to grow there compared to some other places, but um, I think in terms of our our results and our and our lifter quality and you know I think we're we're right up there. You know, obviously there's there's kind of that that Russia tier you know at right at the top, which is really made up of only you know like three countries, um, you know a few different countries, and then in that next level, I don't you know we're we're just as much in there. I mean, I always have to explain to people over there, like, Canada is huge. And I mean, we have a, we have a bunch of lifters. It's just that we're also spread out and it's hard to bring it all, you know, together. So, I mean, I don't see any reason why you shouldn't be included in that, um, that conversation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyone else want to chime in? I think that, um, for one thing, uh, being there certainly helped, um, be a presence, but also that are showing on the mat. Um, we showed quality, um, as always we showed class. Um, so I think this will also, um, encourage other lifters to hopefully, um, plan for Dublin, you know, plan to qualify and the rest of the world can see the other talent that we have in Canada. Um, cause certainly it's there. It's just, we need to have that opportunity to, to show it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything holding us back as a uh, as a kettlebell community in Canada from you know really kind of making our presence known on the international scene? Hmm. Well, I, I think personally that it makes uh, the cost makes it prohibitive, you know, to be able to travel to to Europe or even to travel to you know numerous. Um, competitions even in the states you know it just um but to to put yourself out there with with the europeans um to go to european championships or any of those world cups in australia or those places it, it's cost prohibitive you know we just we don't have the funding so um you know hopefully there's more opportunities that come this way with those um lifters involved that we can participate in um but you know who knows and i think because kettlebell is you know, becoming more and more um, popular that, you know, hopefully we'll get that chance. Awesome. Um, okay, I have one more question, and then I have a call to action. So last question, what's the next next big competition for everyone, and what are you all, what are you all doing to prepare? And uh, I guess there's a, there's a second part of this question. What's the next big step for Team Canada? So, Gene, we'll start with you. What's your next big competition, and what are you doing to prepare? I'm uh, planning, I guess, to go to uh, San Francisco in February uh, at for to lift the um, 16 kilo long cycle. And what am I doing to prepare? Um, Whatever Linda tells you. Pretty much. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Consistent training. <laughs> and how about you, Linda? Um, uncertain. I might be having surgery on my arm. Um, but if that, if I don't do that, then I hopefully will be in Edmonton for the, uh, nationals. Cool. Cool. How about you, Charlie? Um, I unfortunately can't make the meet in San Francisco this year. So, uh, at the end of February, I'm going to go compete at the OKC, uh, Cali open. And then, but I think, you know, that's going to be a good little stop just to kind of keep me rolling. And then I'm going to be in uh, Edmonton. That'll be sort of the, the big meet to be setting up for. So 
right now it's more, you know, building a bit of base, getting a bit of strength back up and um, have a little bit of fun, but also, you know, start setting myself up come, uh, you know, come the new year to really buckle down and hit a good uh, seven, eight weeks of training and get myself prepared. Well, that's good to hear. Good to hear. All right. So final thing, call to action. What do our Grevic listeners uh, and Gretzkevas um, need to do if they want to join Team Canada one day? And uh, Linda, why don't you go ahead and field that one? Uh, if they want to be a part of Team Canada, they have to um, get to the national championships. Uh, this year is in Edmonton. Uh in July and 2016 is planned to be back in Victoria um, in May of 2016. So the qualifying um, is nationals. If you don't qualify, you don't compete at nationals, you don't give yourself the opportunity to go to a world championships. Bam, just like that. Just like that. (laughs) All the other competitions are, you know, are good preparation. But if you plan to go to world, you need to put the national championships on your calendar. Excellent, excellent. Uh, on behalf of BSN Radio, I want to thank all of you for joining me tonight. Um, Gene, uh, where can uh, our listeners kind of follow you, reach you, social media, that type of thing, if they want to kind of follow your training and that sort of stuff? Oh, follow my training. Wow. Um, I, I don't do a lot of training posting. Uh, <laughs> I am on Facebook. I like to, you know... I've posted some pictures, I think, from from Worlds um, and, you know, from Vegas. And but I don't do a lot of training following. Well, I'm sure we'll catch your progress through the grapevine. Linda, (laughs) where can our listeners reach you? Uh, I have Twitter at Iron Bell Fitness and uh, on Facebook at Iron Bell Fitness and Training. So, yeah, Facebook and Twitter. Excellent. Charlie? Uh, I have a... Facebook group, Okanagan Valley Kettlebells. Don't That's act what. so reserved. We know that uh, we know that you like to hobnob. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> so that's where I uh, do my stuff. <laughs> well, excellent. Again, I want to thank all you guys for joining me tonight. And, um, you know, enjoy the rest of your, uh, your training for your upcoming competitions. And I hope to see you guys in the new year. Thank you very much. Thank you. No thank, you. thank you. Good night, guys. Nice. Take care.